and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Folks, today I'm really excited to welcome Dorian Morris, who is a brand executive turned entrepreneur looking at the intersection of beauty and wellness with an emphasis on CBD. We're going to talk about her career journey and the importance of CBD wellness and BIPOC founders. Welcome, Dorian. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Can you give us your 30-second bio? Absolutely. So, Dorian Morris, founder and CEO of Undefined Inc., which has two different components, one being Undefined Beauty, which is my beauty and wellness line, which is focused on clean, conscious, inclusive plant magic. The second piece is Undefined Collective, which is my retail platform that's focused on what I call conscious capitalism, um, which means having brands that are focused on uh, minority-owned, LGBTQ, and female-founded brands. And I have a varied history. So I started my career actually in retail at Macy's in their buying office. From there, I moved into um, to Harvard Business School. So I really got a well-rounded general management education. Then I moved into food marketing. So I started at General Mills in Minneapolis, Minnesota, really learning how to build core brands um, that have such a beautiful heritage. From there, I moved to Kindo which at that point, Kendo was a division of Sephora, and it was really their engine for innovation. So they were creating these white space brands to sell within the LVMH family of companies. And then from there, I started at Sundial, which at that point was a Black-owned, family-owned company, working on some really cool projects, did a quick stint at CoverGirl Cosmetics, and then launched Undefined. So my career kind of is this beautiful mosaic that spans retail to CPG to beauty and now entrepreneurship. Yeah, so we're going to look at the similarities and differences of those experiences and, you know, the lessons that you've learned along the way. Yeah, let's let's jump right in. We can dissect it. (laughs) So was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? I love beauty. I think I've always been an eye towards beauty since I was a child. Um, I remember in, in middle school, my punishments if I got in trouble was my mom would take away my makeup. That was the tool she was using to actually make me feel the pain and the wrath. Um, Also, uh, I'm the daughter of law enforcement. So my mom was one of the first black female CHP sergeants in California. And I remember she would go undercover to buy drugs as a prostitute and I would actually do her makeup. So I I feel that beauty has this very weird place within my my childhood. And um, I didn't think that I would end up in beauty. It wasn't really a career path that... I thought about as I was thinking about, you know, classes to take at UCLA, but I'm so happy to be here now. And for me, it's really about changing the narrative because beauty has historically meant one thing, which uh, is this very exclusive, unattainable thing. And for me, it's about, let's cut that. Let's democratize it. We all deserve beauty and wellness and products that are high quality that don't cost your firstborn child. And so that's what I'm doing with Undefined. Well, There has never been a guest on here, and I don't know if I'll ever have another guest, who has done their mom's makeup for undercover work as a police officer. And because, I mean, my stepdad was uh, Oakland PD, so I had both parental figures that were law enforcement. And what's so interesting, and we'll get to this at the end, but now that I'm in this CBD space, 
coming from a family that was a just say no, dare to fight drugs. Um, and my mom was actually the store manager of my store in Oakland. So she was this ex-cop, just say no to drugs, turned CBD evangelist. So it's um it's been quite a progression. That's really interesting. How did you end up at Macy's? My first job actually was when I was a child. I was a very uh, industrious kid, I guess we'll say. I was the kid that would make charm bracelets and sell them to neighbors. I had a a newspaper that I was doing probably in like second or third grade, like actually doing like articles about my neighborhood, babysitting. So I was always figuring out how I could add value and extract value into my pocket. So I've always had like these small entrepreneurial jobs. Um, but my first like real paying job was actually in high school as a server at uh, this, uh, well, first I was a like a hostess at this uh, restaurant down the street from my house called uh, Ed's Mudville Grill. Then I upgraded to a server job, which actually I think having the job as a server, which I did both in college and in high school, actually taught me a lot of skills that are really important now as a business owner, because everything that you're doing is selling. And so developing really core sales skills early on is really important, but also on the flip side, learning to have thick skin. And I think that you get that in, you know, jobs like servers where you're interacting with a lot of people who, you know, they might be in their own moods and you can't absorb their energy. <laughs> so I think that that has been kind of a good training early on for me that I've taken kind of throughout my career. But my first like real job job, like adult job, um, I started out of UCLA at this company called Robinson's May in their executive training program, which May Company, and this is, my gosh, 2000. One, so May Company had a whole handful of common names you hear within the department store chain world, but Macy's, the behemoth, acquired May Company. So I started in uh, North Hollywood at the Robinson's May headquarters, starting in women's fragrance. And actually, one funny story from women's fragrance was this is when celebrity fragrances were like a thing. And so we were launching Beyonce's fragrance within our category. And so we had a meet and greet. So Beyonce was coming to my little itty bitty store in like, I don't know, maybe Glendale. And so I got to meet Beyonce as my one of my first jobs. Robinson's May. But then fast forward, Macy's bought May Company. I moved to New York, uh, moved into a planning function. So really understanding how to plan assortments, think through your budgets. I like to say that the planners are the ones that own the piggy bank and it's the buyers that are choosing, but then it's, you got to come to Uncle Moneybags to actually pay for the inventory. So I really learned how to think through planning inventory, which is super important. But I really felt that retail, and this is retail back in, you know, 2000. Oh, I got the other date wrong. 2005 is when I started at uh, Robinson's Bay. So this is call it 2006. I'm in New York in my 20s, having fun, uh, working in retail. Most of my friends were actually in finance. So a lot of bankers, which I had never even, I wasn't exposed to that as a career path when I was at UCLA. And so they put this little seed in my head like, Dorian, you should go to business school which wasn't on my radar. I like to talk about the spider web of life. And like, if I hadn't moved to New York, I wouldn't have been exposed to these people. But then we're like, hey, Dorian, go a little bit further from an education standpoint. So I ended up going to Harvard Business School, which was a great experience to really learn different concepts and ideas that, again, I wasn't exposed to within my educational background at UCLA or even at Macy's. Um, and also exposed to just a wide range of people, which I think the most important thing about business school is your exposure to your classmates. So 
So that was an interesting opportunity. Before we get into CPG, I just want to talk about Macy's for a minute. We hear about buyers, we hear about buying path, but we don't often hear about planners. So could you tell me a little bit more about what the kind of day-to-day responsibilities of someone in the planning department would be? Yeah, absolutely. Planners are really closely aligned with the buying team. So within a team structure, there's going to be the buyer and the planner. They're like the left hand and the right hand. So I would go to a lot of meetings with vendors. Uh, But then my job, when I was at Macy's in New York, I was in the home store. So I worked on fashion bedding. So not super sexy. This is like bed in a bag. Back when that was even a concept, I'm not even sure that's around anymore. So the buyers would actually be thinking through what are the color stories of the season? What are some of the patterns that can be differentiated within the portfolio? I then would say, okay, we're going to bring in bed in a bag A. What does that look like that we maybe have had previously? Because that will then determine which stores might do the best. And so a lot of it is thinking through the data to maximize the products um, that you're actually carrying within the stores. But they work really closely together. And I actually think the best planners are those that have started in buying and vice versa, because you have to understand how to run a business. And I think that's what planning gave me. So I did that for a bit. And then I moved into a really unique special role at Macy's called a business manager. So overseeing all of the textiles assortment. So my boss was the DMM, I guess. Uh, So she oversaw the entire category. And so I'd help her with special projects. So looking at what are some of the sales trends we're seeing kind of across the space so we can like bundle storytelling? So some of the more uh, strategic initiatives. I've always been a good balance of my left brain and my right brain. <laughs> Which a lot of people strive for, but can't attain because you always hear creatives say, I'm not good with math. And the point you made earlier about, you know, learning those selling skills earlier, a lot of entrepreneurs think, well, I can't sell. But, you know, if you can't sell, you can't be an entrepreneur. But even within corporate America, you're always selling. You're selling up. You're selling across. So I think that is probably one of the most underrated skills. People a lot of times talk about the hard skills, like, you know, the economics and, you know, more of the the hard skills. But I think it's the soft skills that actually take people further within their career. I'd agree with that. Let's talk about at post-business school, you end up doing CPG. And you said food. So Which brands did you work on? Yeah. So what's super interesting is that in hindsight, food and beauty have a lot of parallels because these are very personal categories, you know, what you're putting in your body and on your body. So I chose General Mills because there was actually a big community of HBS alums. And I really felt that General Mills really focused on leadership. And, you know, within brand management, within CPG, you're kind of the quarterback. So you're the center of the wheel. So you're helping execute and strategize across the entire business. And so that was really exciting. And the other nice thing about General Mills, and they still hold a very special place in my heart. I will always love General Mills. I'm actually addicted to Gushers, which I constantly purchase as a General Mills product. So the reason I chose General Mills is that they rotate every year. My brain gets bored really fast, like give me a year or two. And then I'm like, what's next? What can I learn next? And so I like the fact that part of the rotational nature of the business is you do a one year assignment and then you're moved to a completely different brand in a completely different category, completely different life cycle and functions within marketing. So you're really building your toolkit, which is important. You need to have different access and exposure. So I started on the Salty Snacks team, which is Chex Mix, Gardettos and Bugles. I didn't actually realize Bugles still existed. 
uh, but they have a really strong business within like the convenience store channel and like dollar stores. Um, and what was amazing about this opportunity is that my manager was also black, so a black woman. And so it was great. You know, my career was being stewarded by someone that I really respected and she really cared about me as a person, not just an employee. Um, she's also an alum of Harvard. So that was nice as well. So I really learned a lot about really managing a business. A lot of it is uh, the numbers and forecasting, which I had done at Macy. So that came in handy. Um, and then my second rotation was onto yogurt. So the Yoplait category. And this is right when Greek yogurt was taking over the world. So like the sky is falling. What are we going to do? Uh, my role within that team was actually working on the club channel. So it was a channel rotation. So focusing on Costco, Sam's Club, which is actually a super interesting um, distribution channel because the way that their stores are set up, you can actually test and learn a lot of really cool things. So we would create test product with different flavors, pop up within a Costco, do demos and understand, oh, do they like the lemon versus the strawberry blackberry? And so it's a great testing opportunity to really get insight really quickly that you don't see across most channels. So learned a lot there. How did you transition to beauty? Yeah. So um, I'm now at, you know, year two at General Mills and I'm figuring out what I want to do next. My old roommate, when I lived in Harlem before business school, she was always looking on LinkedIn. She was like stalking LinkedIn. This is a long time ago. And she's like, hey, Doreen, there's this really interesting job you should look at. It was back in California. It was in beauty and it was a promotion. So it was like, check, 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 check. It was this unknown company called Kendo. And so I threw my hat in the ring, you know, just figuring, give it a try. I'd love to be back in California. I mean, Minneapolis is a lovely city, very underrated city, but most people are married. I was a single lady. I'm like, I don't want to continue to build roots in a place I don't see myself long term. And all of my family and friends are in California. And it's cold. Yes, it is. I was shocked that in May, there would still be snow on the ground. I'm like, this is not how life should be. (laughs) But luckily, I left Minneapolis before the big polar vortex, I think the next year. So I bit that bullet, which is nice. So Kendo Opportunity came into my lap. It was working on a category nail polish, which was at that point really hot. I flew out to California for the interview. And there was two different roles that I was applying for. Um, One was on the nail polish brand that I mentioned. And then the other was for Marc Jacobs Beauty, which hadn't launched yet. I remember meeting the VP of the nail polish brand, and we instantly hit it off. It was like we were old friends. I knew that I could learn from her. She also had a good balance of left brain, right brain, and had worked at Sephora for a while. So she understands kind of how to how to run a business. And although the nail polish category less sexy than Marc Jacobs, I knew that I wanted to align myself with her because I knew that she would actually teach me. So I took that job and it was probably the most important decision within my career that I've made that has helped me really understand the beauty category. Kristen Walcott was her name. I still adore her. She's uh, now the president of Kendo. She oversees all the brands. And so when I was there, it was literally me and her in the trenches, roll up your sleeves, you know, get shit done. And I learned so much from her. And I think that's actually one piece of advice that I would give is that align yourself with people because that's who will make or break your career. So the people piece is super important, less so than the product, I would actually say. That's great advice. Let's step back for a minute. For people who don't know what Kendo is, could you explain? Absolutely. So Kendo is this little secret, well, maybe not so much secret now, but it was a 
incubator within LVMH, when I started, it was actually part of Sephora, that would create these brands to fill the holes in the white spaces within the prestige marketplace. So their goal was to create something that feels new, exciting, fresh, a lot of times taking brands or celebrities or influencers and bringing their products to market. So Kat Von D was one of the big brands, Marc Jacobs Beauty. So again, Marc was very involved, Marc Jacobs. Fenty. So after I left, they developed Fenty Beauty, which has been a pivotal brand within the industry, you know, changing and shaping the inclusivity story. And so they are this very scrappy team in San Francisco that are building these behemoth brands. And I remember when I was there, I was probably employee number 30. When I left Kendo, it was probably 250 people. So super high growth, but very entrepreneurial. Like one day I could be thinking through our international strategy. The next day I'd be packing up boxes to ship to influencers and maybe the next day working within our education. So like, how could we translate this concept for all of the store staff at Sephora? So it was very um, multifaceted and I learned so much within my time there. It sounds amazing. And it is indicative of how not just beauty companies, but large legacy brands have tried to take the entrepreneurial lens and bring that lens to their businesses so that they can drive innovation inside of these huge corporations. I think obviously Kendo is one. I mean, Kat Von D and Fenty have, and Marc Jacobs Beauty, those are three very, very strong brands that came out from that corporation and from that incubator. It was a lot of shared resources. So the team's you know, we're working across brands a lot of times, which actually is very smart as you think about just maximizing efficiency. So for example, if both Pat Von D and Mark Jacobs had a lit project, there'd be one person kind of on the production sourcing team that was working with that vendor for both projects. And so that way you're actually getting more efficiencies in sale. Financially sound decisions as well. <laughs> Talk to me about coming back to New York. Did you come back to New York to work at Sundial? Uh, No, I actually would come to New York once a month for a full week. So I stayed in San Francisco, which is where I was living, um, because part of my role, I guess most of my role, I was the only dedicated employee working on Madam C.J. Walker. So I also served as the salesperson. So being close to Sephora, which is in San Francisco, was really important. So I would spend a week at the corporate headquarters in Long Island once a month. Okay, so that worked. You got back to California. You didn't have to do the winter again. Madam C.J. Walker is such a pivotal figure in the lives of particularly Black women when we think about beauty, a legacy, an inspiration. But what was it like to bring and reintroduce products with the Madam C.J. Walker name to the public again? Yeah, I mean, she has such a legacy that I really wanted to help steward this reemergence of what should have always been a household name from a product standpoint and kind of bring her back into relevancy. And so Sundial, at that point, Black-owned, family-owned company, which had done amazing things to really shape the natural hair category within all channels with Shea Moisture, which is their biggest brand. And um, I met Richard Lou Dennis, who was the founder CEO. I guess he still is the founder. And I was just immediately taken aback by his vision. He is a good example of the ultimate salesman. Like he could sell ice to an Eskimo. 
just wanted to be on board with you know the rocket ship that he was building. And so the nice thing was that the Madam C.J. Walker launch, which was exclusively at Sephora, was basically tapping into a lot of the skill set that I built at Kindo. So I could take a lot of those best practices and bring that over to the Sundial team. And so it was quite a journey, a lot of learning, a lot of interesting dynamics that I've now taken as I'm an entrepreneur, because the team was, I thought Kendo was scrappy. (laughs) Sundial was even scrappier um, in terms of the amount of action and output that needs to happen with limited resources. It's a startup mentality. And before even we thought about startups in the way that we do with lean startup methodology and all that stuff, the startup mentality, like when you're original staff member, like you were the Kendo. I mean, I've been original staff member of a couple of magazines and you do everything. And sometimes when you're working with limited budget, it's when your creativity is at the highest and you can do a lot with a stapler, a glue gun and some safety pins, whatever you need, like little things can take you a long way. Absolutely. And what's interesting is I was reflecting on this last night, being in these entrepreneurial or I guess intrapreneurial roles within companies that were very scrappy, you kind of get this level of exposure that I think helps you as you, if you want to branch out into entrepreneurship. But it also made me realize last night that like, there are some things that like I was spending at Sundial, but like I would never spend now as an entrepreneur when it's actually coming out of my pocket. (laughs) So it's also kind of a mindset shift. And I think also for someone that is thinking about maybe starting a, a beauty brand and thinking about different channels, my big watch out is that channels like a Sephora, they sound so magical and beautiful and can catapult a brand. They are very expensive to play. And there's a lot of brands that I can think of that have failed because of trying to go into a Sephora. So just be very careful because you think about your channel strategy. Uh, I always say start small, build successfully, and then expand just because I've seen examples, you know, of brands that spent a lot of money to try and win within certain channels and, you know, didn't work. Yeah, I've seen brands also fail in Sephora. Those returns can take you out. If you're not really prepared for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. Let's talk briefly about CoverGirl because you were there briefly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Why'd you go and why'd you leave? The chapter of CoverGirl that I joined um, was an exciting proposition. So Cody had acquired it from P&G. The plan was to make it more relevant, fresh, inclusive in terms of thinking through some of the cover girls they were using. And it was this beautiful opportunity to work for a black woman who we actually crossed paths at General Mills. So Konwa was a brand manager when I started as an AMM at General Mills. And then she left and did beautiful things in her career and then joined the cover girl team. I think she might've like posted it on LinkedIn or something. And I was like, huh, this could be interesting. And it was basically the complete antithesis of what I was doing at both Sundial and Kendo. It was these big teams, big budgets. 
I want to say my marketing budget was like $180 million. And I had probably 100 agency partners. And so for me, I just felt that where I thrive is in environments where I can be scrappy. And I felt that this was kind of like squeezing the life out of my soul, if I'm going to be honest. Did not like it. It was a very quick stint for me. It was the first time I've actually quit a job. You know what? Honestly, if I'm being very transparent, there were a lot of personal things that happened as well that also triggered my grandma's sister. So my great aunt, she passed away. And I couldn't leave to go to her funeral because there was things that I had to do from a work standpoint, which gave me pause. It was like, why am I doing this? Am I happy? Life is too short. And so I was like, you know what? The answer is no, I'm not happy. So I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. So (laughs) I kind of took that leap without knowing what was going to happen next. But I like to say that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes you think it's a dream. And then it becomes a nightmare. And it's not that it's bad for everyone. It's just not right for you. No, I think this job was bad for everyone. (laughs) Literally, the team's all gone. 95% of them. So So tread carefully. And you know what? You have to listen to your gut. If you start on Sunday feeling like, or Saturday feeling like, oh, Monday's coming, there's something not right about what you're doing. I think most people don't listen to their gut and they end up sick. Like that is where dis-ease comes from. I would agree. And not for nothing, but, you know, as hard as Cup of Girl tried to like rebrand, it just didn't work. And maybe it was just what was happening internally showed up in the execution. It just didn't land with consumers. It didn't land. I agree. But it's more than that. I think there's also just the context. I think that the beauty space was changing and like people were focusing on indie brands. And then you have this behemoth that is CoverGirl that hasn't necessarily changed their formulas in 60 years or really thought about how the consumer need states are evolving. Coupled with the fact that you had Cody, which was a European company trying to dictate things that are happening within the U.S. market. So I think it was compounding. You know, there's no one reason it wasn't successful. I just knew that I didn't want to be on the hamster wheel running, 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 and knowing at the end of the day, I wasn't going to be successful or happy and neither were the brand. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Makes a whole lot of sense to me. So you shifted to entrepreneurship. Did you know that you were going to create your own products? What were your thoughts? Did you know what path you were going to take? No. I mean, in between, I was actually doing consulting. General Mills, actually, uh, they hire ex-employees to do like internal consulting projects. And so I was actually on this consulting project with Big G, so the cereals division. But as I was thinking about how I can add value, I knew beauty and wellness was just calling my name because I was just, you know, what I've been in for the past, I don't know, 10 years. Um, I knew there was a lot of challenges in the space that I thought I could bring in solutions for. But I wanted to do it in a very strategic way. So it wasn't about using the playbook that a lot of people use, like raising a lot of money, spending a lot on Instagram ads. I was like, nope, I'm going to do the complete opposite. I'm going to be very undefined. When someone digs, I'm going to zag. So I'm going to do it in a very slow growth way, but building a foundation. So that way I'm building a profitable business from the beginning, not trying to chase profitability later. So it's a very different approach. It's definitely been more of a slow growth, but everything's been organic. I haven't spent anything on marketing, which is nice. I'm building this community from the ground up, really helping to educate people around plant-based solutions. As I interface to the brand, which is 
some exciting news coming down the pipeline, then I can invest in some of these marketing strategies to really elevate the messaging. I think it's great. So for those who don't know about Undefined Beauty, tell us a little bit more about both sides of your business. I launched Undefined in 2018 in fall. I launched at Indie Beauty Expo, which is a big indie, uh, I don't even know what to call it, uh, trade show, I guess. And actually, as I was working on the brand, I started working on it probably in the beginning of the year. I had gone to Cosmoprof in Vegas, which is a big trade show uh, for beauty because it brings together kind of every different piece of the puzzle. And I ended up meeting up with Richard Ladinas, so my old CEO, who was kind of in- informally mentoring me across the process. And I remember we were after some event, it was probably like two in the morning and we're just chatting about the business. And I was telling him, you know, where I was and how I wanted to, you know, think about seeing myself launch Indie Beauty Expo, but I wasn't ready. He's like, you're never going to be ready. Just do it. No matter what, you're going to learn something. And so if it wasn't for his pushing me, I probably wouldn't have launched there. And I'd be in a very different place now. I like to tell entrepreneurs that I mentor that sometimes you have to jump off the cliff and build your wings on the way down because you're never going to have all the answers. And I think a lot of times we can get into this whole analysis paralysis, which, you know, inhibits our growth and taking risks. So I launched at the show. I signed up two weeks before the show. So I literally got the second to last slot in the very back corner. But for me, it was like, you know what? I'm going to learn something no matter what. And the beauty of Indie Beauty Expo back then was that I like to say it was a trifecta because you got the consumers on one day, you got buyers, and you got press. So you can really understand coming out of that, which of that trifecta cares about the brand and where can you optimize going forward. I mean, Cosmoprof, now that I think about it, was a very important piece of the puzzle because it was Richelieu that was like pushing me to just do it. I found actually a supplier there. They make boxes and I was looking for a box supplier and it's this big company. And, you know, I met this guy named Orlando. And if I hadn't met Orlando, I'd be a different place too, because I wanted to, you know, engage his company to create boxes because boxes are really important for storytelling and really visualizing what the brand stands for. And he was like, you know what, you're too small for my company to actually work with you, but I believe in you and I'm going to help you. He's still my designer to this day. And if it wasn't for him, like, because we had to create all the packaging, all of the visuals at the booth, all the marketing materials, like he's been my right-hand man, helping me really guide the vision, which has evolved. So launched Indie Beauty Expo, coming out of the show, the brand out of the 250 brands was voted as one of the consumer favorites. So that was like a nice little pat on the back. And then my hero product, Glow Elixir, was nominated as Best Face Oil Face Serum. So that was also good momentum that I was working in, you know, in the right direction, even though it's continued to evolve over the past two years um, from a packaging standpoint, and even the formulation has evolved. But it was a good way for me to kind of test the waters and there was some traction. And so I kind of kept down that path. You know, this is 2018. So this is pre-farm bill for those that are familiar with CBD. So it was kind of pre-green rush, probably slightly illegal since it wasn't necessarily federally legal yet. And so that was probably another reason why the brand stood out because I was playing in a space that people hadn't started to venture into yet. And I've then iterated on the brand. For me, it's really about creating these accessibly priced products. So on the CBD side, CBD is one of the most expensive raw ingredients I've ever seen. And it made it very prohibitive. A lot of the brands back when I launched were very expensive. So call it $75, $100. And that really rubbed me the wrong way. 
It's like we should all have access to high quality products that are not expensive. And so my goal with Undefined is to change that. It's really to say, provide more transparency and give people high quality products that don't cost a firstborn child. Yeah. And I've continued to evolve with the brand, with different formats, really focused on different need states. And I'm very excited to share There's two exciting pieces. Um, as I'm working on phase two of the brand, I'm now moving into ingestibles, which I personally think that's where you get the biggest bang for your buck in terms of CBD. Um, because we have an endocannabinoid system, which is what allows us to interact with the plant. And using it topically, you get a lot of great benefits, you know, antioxidant, anti-inflammation. But when you're using it ingestibly, it's a whole host of other benefits that help you from just an overall wellness, anxiety relief, stress relief. Um, and so I'm working on some really cool formats in the ingestible space, all focusing on what I like to say is CBD+. plus. Because it's not just about CBD. It's about the overall formula and what other different ingredients are reinforcing the benefits. And I'm very bullish on adaptogens. And so all of my ingestible products have an adaptogen story as well. So I just soft launched Glow Bars, which are um, these beautiful high cacao vegan CBD chocolates that are all functional in nature that have different adaptogens. So there's one that's focused on sleep, which... We're living in 2020 right now. Who doesn't need good sleep? She has some beautiful botanicals. There's also one focused on mental acuity and creativity. I like to say it's my anti-procrastination tool since I am the master of procrastination. Um, and then the third is focused on pleasure. It has natural aphrodisiacs, which allow you to lift your mood and get you ready for pleasurable experiences. So just soft launch those, which is super exciting. Um, and they're super delicious. Worked with a master chocolatier, female chocolatier out of the Bay Area. Because, oh, that's one thing I forgot to mention. So as part of what I stand for within Undefined, it's what I like to say is conscious capitalism. So across my supply chain, um, I only partner with female-founded, minority-owned, and LGBTQ businesses across my entire supply chain. So from the labs I work with, my warehouse, so the suppliers have to fall within that grid, I guess. Because for me, as a you know Black woman, I want to be sure that I'm helping to uplift other disenfranchised communities because business empowers business. And that was actually something that I took from Sundial because they were very focused on um, helping uplift communities through a lot of the um, charitable donations, as well as just their model to engage with uh, the Sheikh cooperatives in West Africa. Yes, there is so much, <laughs> so much to talk about. Just the decision to jump off the cliff. I have to go back to that that so many of us get stuck and don't act. We get stuck for a lot of reasons. One is that we make it too complicated to do anything. So then we have that failure to launch. And what I like about what you said is not only the build your wings on the way down, that is gold, but that you can start small. And I'm talking to myself now because I used to be one of those people that would make it so complicated and it would be a Detailed, detailed idea. And it's like, where do you start? Because it's so detailed. But now I had a bigger, bigger idea. And I was like, no, I'm just going to do a podcast. Let me just do this podcast. And let me just launch it during COVID. Like, just why are you doing it? Interview all these people, launch it. Like that kind of thing. But I think one thing that holds people up is that it's they're trying to boil the ocean. And you can't. And so it's all about small steps, chunking tasks, so that way it doesn't feel overwhelming. And from a beauty standpoint, it's all about mitigating risk. And so one thing that I found that's worked out in my favor is that because I worked with all of these female-founded minority-owned labs, 
typically they're smaller, which means I can do a smaller MOQ, which is your minimum order, which then allowed me to move quicker to test concepts. And so it's all about sometimes taking things that could be a negative and using it to your advantage. Yeah. And that's the other part. The thoughtfulness that is in the way that you're doing business is admirable, like that you make that part of your like core business that I'm working. This is the supply chain that I'm using for this business, which I don't think a lot of people think about. Well, you know what? Taking a step back, I just feel like and this was kind of my thought process back when I launched the brand. It was like the world doesn't need just another beauty brand. The world needs brands that are actually standing for something with a model that is, you know, be good, do good. And so for me, that piece is just really important. You talked a little bit how you source other people's products that you may sell. So Undefined Collective was a very opportunistic concept. So I was living in the Bay Area and a friend from undergrad. So we went to UCLA together. Her name is Steve Ahn. She had a beautiful brand called Beige Floor, and she also had a store. And she was trying to, we're both entrepreneurs and she was a little bit further ahead of me. So we would always be bouncing ideas and she'd be giving me insight into like how to do certain things that I just didn't have to do as a (laughs) CPG beauty executive. And so she had the brand in the store and she wanted to actually spend more time on the brand and less on the store. And so she was looking to give up her lease. I, on the other hand, had a brand, but I wanted a opportunity and a space to tell the story to educate because CBD as a category is something that you really have to explain because it's so novel and new. And I think there's a lot of consumers that are like, well, what is this? Why should I care? How do I use it? And so I was like, hey, Stevan, I will take over your store. But at that point, I only had two SKUs. So I was like, I'm not going to build out a full store for two SKUs. So this light bulb idea came in my mind that, hey, why don't I create this multi-branded experience that also falls within this conscious capitalism model? So all female founded minority owned LGBTQ but also solve for some of the problems that I as an indie founder were facing because I felt that when indie brands come together, one plus one can equal five. So it's, it let's build a space for a lot of these brands are all direct to consumer. So it gives them an opportunity to tell their story in real life. So like I would do a lot of events. So brands would come in for free, of course, and like really engage with consumers. So half the store was CBD. So it allowed for me to tell the story across multiple categories. And the other piece on the back end is that if you're part of the collective, you got access to all the data. So they could see what products were turning, what categories were most popular, were there certain days that people tend to purchase more. And so it was like, let's democratize access to data so we can all learn from it and grow. And so for me, that was a great experience, learned a lot, a lot of consumer insight on like why people were hesitant around CBD, what formats they were interested in. And then I've taken that and that's helped inform my innovation pipeline. As well as, you know, I've forged a lot of really great friendships across the brand founders that I selected to go into the store. And so we're always uplifting each other and really in this collaboration over competition mindset. And do you still have the store? So um, I moved to L.A. and I closed the location and the plan was to create a live workspace in L.A. It's actually built out as like, you know, a little showroom downstairs. I live upstairs. Uh, But with COVID, unfortunately, things are not necessarily open. And the building that I'm in had all of this construction happening. It's a brand new building with a whole bunch of live work lofts like mine. And um, with COVID, all the construction's gone, which means that if these businesses haven't opened, there's no traffic. Yeah. So the concept has evolved a bit, but I like to say that adaptability is a superpower. So I still have the e-commerce platform, but the brick and mortar piece is really, I mean, it's there 
for like my neighbors, but I'm not driving traffic to it. That's a great place, Undefined Collective, to really find different categories that I personally do not have. I don't have them covered. So you can get, you know, CBD pet products, you can get tinctures, you can get pain products. So it's organized by category. And there's also a section where you can just shop from the brands that are VIPOC. But all brands have to be black or minority owned, female founded or LGBTQ. Very important. Let's talk about the CBD category for a minute. And then the challenge that Black and and BIPOC overall founders have faced in the category, just trying to enter the category and break out in the category. Because we have clean, which I've talked to many guests that are in the category where we're fed this false narrative that it's not for us. And similarly, CBD, I don't know why we would believe the narrative that we could not be in this CBD business. How do you operate in that space knowing that the system is set up that we can almost not enter it? So the tricky thing with CBD is that there's just a lot of regulation. Like even though it's federally legal via the farm bill, there's still all these gray areas that actually make it very challenging to start the business and then more importantly, grow the business. So there's a lot of restrictions around credit processing. So getting actually a credit processor to do e-commerce business, hard. It's difficult. And a lot of credit processors have closed down and there's horror stories of people losing a lot of money. And then you also, this has changed a bit, but just even getting access, I think back to 2018, to the raw ingredient was also challenging because you want to make sure that you're sourcing it from a credible source. You don't want there to be any toxins. And so, and then on the commercialization side, there's still a lot of restrictions around how you can market. So like it's illegal really for a lot of these platforms like Google, Facebook. So you're seeing brands that are starting to figure out workarounds, but it's still not open. And so if you don't have these tools to really grow the brand awareness, it's hard. It almost feels sometimes like, you know, you're told to swim, but then your arms are tied behind your back. And so you have to be very creative, which for me, that creativity came down to events. So back when the world was open, (laughs) uh, actually doing in-person events and really one-on-one education to people around the benefits of CBD and helping give them this sense of relief or calm that it's not snake oil. And so I would do a lot of events, regional events, which I miss some of those, but I'll be doing one actually in San Francisco in two weeks. So West Coast Craft, which is, I've, I've done a couple of events with them. They're great. And so I'll be doing um, an outdoor event at Fort Mason. So if there's any listeners in the San Francisco Bay Area, come join West Coast Craft at Fort Mason the Saturday after Thanksgiving. How do you want to involve your business as you move forward? I think you might have answered that with the adaptogens, but do you see other things, other ways that you'd like to evolve your business? Yeah, I think for me, it's about evolving the brand to feel more like wellness and not beauty. So I think that they are the same, like beauty is wellness and wellness is beauty. I think that will come to life via some of these ingestible formats on the CBD side that reinforce kind of beauty from the inside out, honestly, because there's things you need to do ingestibly that show up topically. It's not just about slathering a lotion potion on your skin. It's got to think about your overall wellness holistically. And honestly, a lot of that starts in your gut. So gut health is super important, but I'm also evolving the brand. Uh, I'm working on a new collection that I'll be launching next year that is focused exclusively on adaptogenic mushrooms. So there's no CBD, which 
interestingly enough, there's a lot of medicinal and adaptogenic mushrooms that mirror some of the same benefits that you can get from CBD. And so it's really about going to evolving the education around what are adaptogens. Actually, CBD is an adaptogen, but there's all these other really cool adaptogens as well, uh, like ashwagandha, reishi, uh, shiitake, maca, that can do some really interesting things. And so Super excited about the evolution of the new collection. It'll still live under Undefined, just be a different collection. And from a pricing standpoint, everything will be under $30, which really reinforces this, you know, accessibility because we all deserve access to wellness. So super excited about this. Uh, I also have some interesting retail partners that I'll be launching with as well on the new collection. But for those that are interested, they can currently find me now on my website, undefinedbeauty.com. From there, you can also shop Undefined Collective or you can go to undefinedco.com to go there. Uh, You can also find my products within Nordstrom, which has been a nice partner for me um, within the department store chain. And then also I haven't publicized this yet. So yeah, I guess you're getting an early, early access here. So there's two additional partners. So Showfields is a really interesting experiential platform within New York. So I'm part of their recent pop-up that went live last week, um, curated by Coco and Breezy, which are these really cool musicians that also have a glasses line. And so they curated Black-owned brands for this beautiful experience. And then I also recently just launched Undefined on Fashion Nova. So Fashion Nova is building out kind of their beauty category. It's called Nova Beauty. They also launched a private label brand. I'm the only CBD brand within their platform, which will be exciting to really get eyeballs on the brand that maybe were not engaging with me on Instagram or found me through press articles. And so I think that would be a really interesting partnership. And then also, I just uh, launched a partnership with Lola. So Lola is a femcare brand. Um, and we're doing two exclusive holiday sets. One's focused on period and like PMS and you know relaxation. And one's focused on sex positive pleasure, leveraging my products and their products. So I'm really aligning myself with partners that I think understand what I'm trying to build and can you know do it in a way that's very complementary to the community that I'm building with Undefined. Well, this is exciting. And I don't know how you manage to do all of this different, but we were talking about being scrappy before, but for those listening who have never had that scrappy experience with Dorian, it has just described all the iron she has in the fire is an example of scrappy. If we looked it up in a dictionary, like you can do many things at one time. I work best under pressure. So it's like, give me all these things. I'll try and keep all the plates spinning in the air. I'm like a circus trick. Let's move on to our fast track questions. What was the first beauty product you tried? So funny enough, which actually probably was one of my decisions and why I made a certain choice in my career was actually CoverGirl. So CoverGirl pressed powder was my first beauty product. I would really call it beauty if you don't count like, you know. Bonnie Bell lip gloss back in the day and stuff like that. And I actually was still wearing CoverGirl pressed powder when I started at Kendo. So think, I don't know, 20 years later, and they would always make fun of me and like, ah, ha, ha, this, you know, I'm working in a beauty company using this very mass $5 product. And so it was, it was always in the back of my mind, I think. So when the CoverGirl opportunity came into my lab, it's like, oh, this was my first 
entree or appetizer into beauty, let me go and guide it to the next space. What's the latest product you tried? Well, I mean, I'm currently testing some of my products that are in the innovation pipeline for next year, but there's a couple of brands that have sent me some goodies that I've been trying. So today I'm using Starface, their moisturizer. So uh, Julie, their founder, sent me some products to try. And so it's actually quite lovely. Also, I'm part of this program with 25 Black Women in Beauty, where Cantu is creating this uh, workshop for Black-owned brands. And so I'm wearing some Cantu products today because they sent me some goodies. What's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? I would probably say that the advice, I guess it's more so a mantra. Beauty starts in your head. So it's all about your mindset. I'm a very spiritual person, not religious, spiritual. So it's all about, you know, the law of attraction, thoughts determine your reality. And so I'm a big advocate of think beautiful and you'll be beautiful. Is there any advice that's commonly pushed that you leave alone? I think that the pendulum is swinging back in terms of you don't need a 20 step skincare regimen. I think we're moving back to basics. I think a lot of people who've been very promiscuous from a product standpoint have probably damaged their lipid barrier and their skin barrier. <laughs> so I think that really recognizing that how to use ingredients, how to use them together and don't oversensitize your skin, I think would probably be some advice. Edible or tincture? Edible. Why? I mean, who doesn't like chocolate and gummy? I think that honestly, I mean, to that question, tinctures is probably on the CBD side, the most dominant, you know, delivery mechanism, but it's not a normal behavior for, for people to put oil in their mouth. So I think that for someone that's kind of curious and new to the space, formats that are more familiar, like chocolates and gummies will help get people over that hump. And I like to say that CBD is a gateway in a positive way to other plant-based solutions. Who is your black wellness icon? I love, 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 love the work that Halle Berry is doing with her new brand, Respin. So I think that she's always been just this beauty icon. And now she's creating a platform to really expand that narrative into wellness, which I'm all for. Because beauty is wellness and wellness is beauty. Yes. And who gave you the best career advice and what was it? You may have already answered that, but. I'd probably say it was the Richelieu. I mean, Richelieu telling me to just do it. I think we get in our own way. So it's like, how do you recognize when you're acting out of fear and then reframe it to act out of, you know, strength and love and faith? Last question. What advice would you give to someone who was thinking about being a beauty and or wellness entrepreneur? Yeah, I would say that you have to develop thick skin and resiliency is super important. Because you're going to get a lot of no, 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 no's, which is fine because you don't want them on your journey if they've told you no. And so don't press situations where you've gotten a no. Because I think that that's one piece of advice where I was like, I'm not going to take no for an answer because that's just my personality. And I pushed something that I think the universe was giving me signs like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And nothing positive comes from situations that you have to force. And so I think that. Follow the breadcrumbs, keep an open mind, trust yourself, and I think align yourself with other people in your space because I think that I've learned so much from fellow founders and hopefully I've also helped impart wisdom to them because it's not about reinventing the wheel. I think we can help each other 
And I think that all ships rise. And so I'm a very collaborative person. So I think that the brands that are going to be the most successful are those that are going to help uplift those around them, but also lean on them as well. That is a guidepost, I think, for people who want to run their own business. And it's funny when I do this podcast, they're like little things I take and and they end up places like screensavers or on my computer because I don't know if my guests, I'm talking about you in particular right now, don't understand how pivotal you could be in someone's life. Like just hearing about, not just about hearing about your journey, but the advice that you're given is invaluable. And there was a time when people would not share information with one another. And what I like about where we are now, or maybe it's who we are now, is that there's more transparency. We've done a disservice to people that think that there's such a thing as overnight success, that we have not shared the bumps or the missteps. And the transparency that's happening now and the sharing of the journey is making it a more realistic proposition. So thank you for sharing today. Well, I think it's also, I know we have to get off, but (laughs) I think it's also important to recognize that you've got to stay focused on your journey and not compare yourself to other people because you don't know behind the scenes what's going on. If someone has some beautiful opportunity, who knows if it did well? Who knows how much money they've spent to do something? So I think you've really got to focus on yourself and also trust divine timing. There's a time for everything. I think a lot of times we try and rush and, you know, sometimes you just got to be wait and be patient. You've got to wait for the opportunity to be the right place, the right time. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a powerful conversation. Can't wait to order some product too. (laughs) (laughs) If somebody wants to get products... You're offering us a nice treat. Yes. So again, I think we all deserve access to high quality products that don't cost our firstborn child. So for all the listeners, you can use code START, S-T-A-R-T, for 15% off any purchase on Undefined Beauty or Undefined Collective. Great for the holiday season. (laughs) The gift of wellness. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here. 